This is Pastor to Pastor, a podcast of InnoBTS and Level College. Pastor to Pastor is here to help you lay a biblical foundation for your ministry. Welcome back to Pastor to Pastor. We are continuing our look at the question of what is the gospel, and we've really gotten into some practical implications now, and we've even seen uh, a little bit last week on how do we proclaim the gospel, and so uh, I'm here with uh, Adam Hughes as always, and uh, we want to look at really a very practical question today, Adam. Uh, One of the things when we get into sharing the gospel, I, I find a lot of times is... A lot of times when we share the gospel at church or in our churches, it ends up being with children, right? So you think of lots of outreach ministries designed around kids and things like that, whether it's VBS or a hundred different other things. So I thought it'd be helpful for us to talk on a very practical level about what are some things that we need to think about as we share the gospel with children, and that can be on a very practical level as just doing evangelism, but maybe even also as pastors, uh, how should we shepherd the church in relation to sharing the gospel with children? So any thoughts you have there, Adam? Yeah, I think that's a, is a very good and important question, and you're, you're right. A lot of uh, you know our gospel proclamation ministry in and through the local church does seem to at least uh, start with children. I would just say this as well. I think this is something that not just as, as, as pastors or, or teachers of pastors, but also I'm a father of four, you're a father of three. So this this matters on that level mm-hmm. as well. So it matters to the pastors. It matters also to fathers and moms and dads out there. And I would say as I think about this, Charlie, maybe the way we've talked about uh, or we've talked on other podcasts is we've thought about you know principles or here's three steps or four steps. I don't know that I have three steps or four <laughs> steps. Like here's how you do it. Here's A, B, C or X, Y, Z. But I do think when I think about this from a practical standpoint, two or three different areas of discussion come to mind. Can I say it like that? Two or, two or three different areas of discussion. And I think these are important to consider when we think about gospel proclamation of children. And the first one that comes to mind is Uh, when you're thinking about proclaiming the gospel, when you're sharing the gospel with kids, you have to think through the difference and maybe the relationship between understanding the gospel, understanding what you're saying to them, but also evidence that in some shape, form, or fashion, the gospel, faith in Christ, has taken root in their hearts. And I understand, I'll just start by saying, I understand how difficult that can be for a pastor and maybe even a mom and dad. But I think a lot of times with children, and you even made mention of this last time when we're sharing the gospel with anyone, Charlie, we can major in, do they understand what I'm saying? Do they understand the tenets of the gospel? Do they understand the truths? Do they know who Jesus is? Do they know who, what sin is? Do they know, do they understand this concept that Jesus died on the cross and rose again? And if they can say all those things, then that means, hey, they have faith in Christ and let's baptize them and make them a member of the church. I'm not, hear me say, I'm not saying those things are unimportant when you're dealing with anyone and specifically with children. I, I'm just saying if we believe what we believe about the gospel, and especially with children, it is important to move past, can they regurgitate or repeat biblical facts to me? And can we begin to see some evidence in their life of faith? Yeah, I was really convicted about that early on in pastoral ministry of the church I was at at the time. You know, we, we get around, VBS comes around for the first time, you know, not long after I've been pastoring there. And, and so part of that ends up me being, you know, all these... We're asking kids these questions, right? 
do you want to talk to somebody about the gospel and checking the call, you know, all that sort of stuff, right? So I end up talking with all these kids, many of whom uh, had very little connection to our church, and it really just struck me early on that I was very much only dealing at the cognitive level. My questions tended to only be about what do they know. No, yeah. And I really began to be convicted about that. You look at book uh, verses like James two nineteen, for example, which talk about the demons believing and shuddering, Absolutely. right? And so, one of the things that James would teach us is faith without works is dead, right? And so, there's this connection between faith and works. And, and I think, and, and, and a lot of this ties into baptism too, because you end up with the question of when do we baptize these kids, right? And so I think as we look at the New Testament, a lot of times we look at the New Testament and see what seems to us to be very almost instantaneous baptisms in some co- some context. But one of the passages I was pr- convicted about was from Acts chapter ten. So this is in the context of the story of Cornelius, right? And and Peter goes and uh, preaches the gospel in Cornelius's home. And what happens is, uh, really, Acts even tells us that while Peter was still saying these things, right, so Peter's proclaiming the gospel and calling them to repentance, right, like we talked about last time, Acts 10.44 tells us the Holy Spirit fell on all who hold the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on Gentiles. And and there's this background of the whole circumcision and, and Jews and Gentiles, all this stuff is in the background. But listen to what Peter says. Peter says, can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And so in other words, Peter's basic claim is there, it's obvious that God has approved of them, right? He's put his seal of the Holy Spirit on them. And so Peter's response there is, how can we not baptize them? Because it's evident that God has given them his Holy Spirit. For them, that was evidence with speaking in tongues, and that's a whole other conversation maybe for another day. But your day. point is there was evidence of the Spirit. There was evidence of the Spirit, and that was one of the things that they looked for to say, okay, this is now a time. We have to go forward with baptism here. So one of the things I thought with kids in particular, especially because a lot of kids, especially at an early age, they want to please. They want to you know, do what mom and dad want them to or their Sunday school teacher wants them to. And so I think very – Early on, I shifted towards and try to be very careful about not just what do these kids know, but how do I see evidence of the work of the Spirit in their life? Yeah, I think that's very important. There's several things that kind of came to mind. First of all, let me just back up and say this. The way you said it was so much better. You're you're asking me. I'm supposed to be leading us through the principles or the areas that we're talking about. But you verbalized much better than me what I was trying to say, not just cognitive knowledge, but evidences of the Spirit at work in their life is a good way to say that. So, So thank you for saying that. I would say, first of all, you mentioned baptism, and I would just say as a pastor, what happens a lot of times is a child will see someone baptized, Mm -hmm. and that's where these interests first, hey, that was really cool, and I want to do that. And so it it can turn into, for them and for parents, and if not even, if we're careful, not even us, it can turn into, we're not, all of a sudden, I know this is how we'd say it, we're not even looking... are they are they believers? Have they been redeemed? Do they have faith? Do we have evidence of the Spirit? It can just turn into when can we baptize them? Mm-hmm. And we have to be very cautious of that. I think that's one thing that, that really comes to mind when I was thinking because it does often come through seeing a friend, a family member, someone else, that's, because, because that is an exciting time in the life of the church. And I would say I'm, what I'm not saying, Charlie, is we should not let kids see baptism. Yeah. I mean, I think that's one of the two ordinances 
that Jesus has given the church to say, you know, if you think about, there's not much that Jesus has said. Matter of fact, it, 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 we don't want to get into this, but from an idle standpoint, we've been told, you know, th- there's not much visually that we're supposed to do to make pictures or images of anything that we worship. And I'm not saying we worship baptism, but the only two images or pictures, if I could say it that way, that really it seems like the New Testament has sanctioned, if you will, is, uh, is, is seeing the gospel through baptism and seeing the work of Christ through the Lord's table. So I think there is great value in letting children see that. I, I'm just saying we have to be cautious then how we move from there, and it doesn't just become a, they want to be baptized, when do we baptize them? Yeah, you, you confessed a little bit on our last podcast. So for, for me now, I think even... Um and I'm not saying we shouldn't count baptisms or, or track stuff like that necessarily, but anytime we do that, there's this you know, inclination of, okay, I'm reporting these numbers, and they're going to be saying, hey, we had this many baptisms, and how does my church look based on that, and all these different sorts of things, where if we're not careful, there becomes this undue pressure there. I realized pretty early on in pastoral ministry that if I wanted to drive up baptism numbers, we just have a big VBS every year, and I, no problem. I can check that box off real quickly. But from a practical standpoint, I don't think you can help but say that we've – look at how many people are being baptized two or three times, <laughs> I think would show you we have some things to think about there, right? That we're, we, we need to really think, think through what we're doing. Um, one of the issues that I had to deal with in baptism more often than not was – I've been baptized once before. Do I need to be rebaptized? Um, because maybe in some senses, you know, in, in a sense, it's good for a kid to see a friend be baptized and be excited by that. But we don't want them being baptized just because they think it's the cool thing to do, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I, there's a kind of a personal testimony that I have in my own life and then in my oldest kiddo's life that I'll share that will segue, I think, very well from this first area that we're looking at to a second area we need to consider. When I was young and growing up, my parents divorced. We had never been a a church-going family before this time, but with this crisis in my mom's life, she started taking me and my older brother to church. And I remember the Sunday that mom said, hey, you need to get saved today so we can join the church as a family. (laughs) She said those words to me. I didn't know what that even meant, but your mom tells you to do something. So guess what you do? You go through all those outward things. I was, I was, uh, I was 10, 11 years old at the time. And so you go through all those outward things that the pastor calls you to do based on what your mom said, because you want to obey your mom. And, you know, so walk down the aisle. What are you here for? Probably said something like, my mom told me I need to get saved. I mean, probably something like that. I don't remember. And so whatever he did, uh, and whatever he said, I don't remember, but he presented me to the church. Hey, here's this new believer, and we're going to baptize him next week. And I know I, I, I left that day no more trusting Christ yeah. than I entered in trusting Christ. But the next Sunday or whenever it was, right, I'm quote-unquote baptized. But then later, when I did come to understand the gospel, place my trust in Christ, and he redeemed me, and, and like you said, evidence of the Spirit came in my life, then, then years later when I'm 16 years old, I realized that that wasn't salvation and that wasn't baptism. And so then later, I don't want to say rebaptized, but then later I had to, I shouldn't have had to, I was baptized later as a believer. Yeah, I, I want to hit on something you said. I don't mean to interrupt, but you even said rebaptized. That's an interesting even phrase yeah. there, right? Because you're actually claiming that that was your baptism. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. So, so it, that at, at, at you know, 10, 11 years old was not. When I was 16, it was right. actual baptism. 
And so I, I didn't state that right. Well, here's kind of how that, so that happened to me as a child. And by the way, I'm not saying that to dog my mom. I'm just saying that's what happened in my life. And so my oldest daughter saw baptism at church one day. I was pastoring at the time. And so she comes and she tells her mother and I, not the exact same situation, but I want to be baptized. And so we begin to ask her why. And she expresses some things, but then it really just turned in because I, I saw these things. Mm-hmm. So then we start asking her about the gospel, and she gives us all these cognizant answers because her dad's a pastor, and she's been in church her whole life. So what I actually said to my daughter then, I became dad and not pastor. Yeah. And what I said to my daughter is, hey, God right now with where you are has given daddy charge over your soul. And so I'm going to ask you to trust dad and let me watch you, let me examine you for some time. And, and let's watch for a while and let's see if, in fact, not just what you know, but there's evidences of the Holy Spirit, evidences of faith in your life. And I, I, I probably accidentally did something that I think was good based on what had happened to me earlier in my life, which leads me to the second area that I think we need to consider, not just, not just uh, evidence versus knowledge, but we also need to understand that to children, the gospel, yes, needs to be proclaimed to them at church, but it also needs Charlie to be proclaimed to him at home by mom and dad. Are you an NOBTS or Level College alum? If so, consider joining our brand new Alumni Association. Inside, you'll be able to connect with alum from all over the world. You'll be able to audit classes for free, and you'll be the first in line for a long list of other goodies. To get started, visit us at nobts.edu slash alumni. Yeah, I, maybe to, to backtrack slightly, um, but I, but I want to touch on, on one of the things you're hitting there, um, even as in relation to pastors, and, and then I, I think this will tie into the home in relation to parents. Um, we, we talked about, you know, a while back, what is a pastor? And, and I assume most of our podcast listeners just re-listen to everything we say regularly. I, that's what I think happens. Maybe it doesn't. I don't yeah, know. I'm, but I'm I, sure that it's just yeah, like they've sure listened to it all a hundred times. <laughs> <laughs> but when we, when we got to the issue of what is a pastor, this matters in relation to evangelizing kids and baptism, right? Because pastors aren't primarily church growers. They're not primarily people who are looking to grow the church, they are primarily shepherds of the church. And so I think if we approach our task as, you know, church growers, we do one thing. If we approach our task as shepherds of the church, then we also, we begin to frame that conversation differently, where it's not our job to get more people in, per se, but it's our job to shepherd people in the church, which part of that is shepherd people who may be coming into the church to make sure as best we can at least ensure that this is a genuine believer who should be included in the membership of the church. And so, I mean, I know you want to move to to parents as well, but I think there's similarities there, right? Absolutely. I've, I've talked with parents in my pastoral ministry who I think, as best I can tell from their conversations, it's almost like they thought their job as parents was to get their kids baptized. And, and, and they wouldn't necessarily say it exactly that way, but I mean, I, I've I've literally had parents come up to me and say, "My kid needs to get baptized. Will you talk to him and share the gospel with him so we can get him baptized?" And and I think that's a parent who's not thinking about shepherding their child's soul, 
right? Uh, not to, to refer to a book title, but to, but to think through this concept of shepherding the, the soul of your child. Um, that's a very different in, uh, mindset than saying, I need to make them a Christian or get them baptized or have them join a church or something along those lines. And if I, I, I could think, when you just said what you said, all of that's spot on, and I frame it, I frame it like this. I frame it in the standpoint of, and, and, and by the way, when I do so, I think it will show something on the front end that you just said, but also on the back end of that. And thinking through the, the concept of what it means for mom and dad and for the home, the mom and dad to be the primary disciplers of their kids, but also the home to be the primary seat of discipleship for children. And I know all the other ramifications that can have, but if I can just sit here for a moment as we think about believing parents. And I think, I think a, a misunderstanding of that can manifest itself in two different ways on two different ends of what you just said. Both of them, you're right, center around this idea of I'm not, I, I'm, my job is not to disciple my kid, it's just to get my kid baptized or yeah. my child baptized. Now, they would probably in their minds equate that to discipleship, yeah, like they're yeah, discipled. Yeah. And so what happens is, you're right, on the front end, what happens is they're not thinking about sharing the gospel and evangelizing their kid. They're thinking about getting, now, they, like you said, they wouldn't say it that way. They're just thinking about what can I do so that the pastor can get them to the baptismal water. But how that manifests itself, Charlie, on the back end of, and therefore when they go through the baptismal waters, they're done and so am I, yeah. and there's no discipleship on the back end. Well, and, and I don't want to go too far with this, but even when you get into issues like church discipline, they wouldn't be willing for their kids to be disciplined by the church because they equate they've come into church membership as they are saved not, you know, that, that recognition that if their kids end up being disciplined, then it is a sign that they're not saved in the first place and we need to go back to evangelism. And so there's this... Absolutely. It, it, it runs the whole gamut. I don't mean to distract, but I think it goes from start to finish. No, right? I think you're right. And so for me, as a pastor, one thing I was trying to do... Listen, I'm not shirking my responsibility as pastor to proclaim the gospel, to make sure there is gospel content and gospel truth over our children's ministry and youth ministry and also to make sure I'm discipling and providing discipleship and, and support systems for parents to be able to do it well. I'm not denying any of that, but I'm saying if we do have a healthy understanding that the primary deceit, the primary seat of discipleship, e even, even for Christians, is in the home, then all of a sudden, the goal isn't baptism waters. The goal is trusting Christ and growing in Christ. Mm -hmm. And I, I'm not saying that's the be-all, end-all for believing parents, but Charlie, what I am saying is I think as it relates to how do we proclaim the gospel to children, what, if, if we could begin to do that well, that answers and solves a lot of those ills. I think one of the practical implications, because we're, we're probably going to end up talking about kids in believing homes and, and unbelieving homes, but for kids who are in your church, one of the things that I found is we're talking about this looking for evidence of the Holy Spirit's work in their lives. Sometimes I have to entrust that to their parents, right? Just on a very practical level, I'm not around the kids enough to know is, is, the, is the, the work of the Spirit being demonstrated in this kid's life. Maybe I can see glimpses of it, but I'm seeing small enough glimpses that could be easily deceived, right? And so sometimes I think as pastors, we're having to entrust that to parents, but that's actually fine, right? That's their role anyway, right? That's what they're supposed to be pressing in on. And I think a lot of times, practically speaking, 
parents have given over the discipleship of their kids to the church, and we need to push that back into the home as best we can. That's right. I, I think about a very specific situation, and again, I think this will then segue us into something that you just mentioned that I do want to talk about as the third area. But I think there was this great family that had their oldest oldest son had, had expressed trusting Christ and, and desiring to be baptized. And I was their pastor, so they said, we want, to, we want to come see you, and we want you to talk to our son. And not that I'm ever against doing that, mm-hmm. but exactly what you just said is what happened. And, and I, strangely enough, did trust this family to share the gospel with their children. I think they had, and the disciples, their children in the home. But they kind of got him to the point where he says he's trusted Christ. Now, now, Pastor, you figure this out. You tell us if he really has. It has exactly. And so, you know, I sat with them for some time, and 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 exactly what you were saying, I could ask the cognizant questions, and we could talk about that. And I knew the kids somewhat, and I could talk about maybe glimpses of those things. But the way that ended probably was very frustrating to them because we we talked about all those things, and I looked back at them and I said. You know, for for all the things that you're asking me, yeah, I mean, I mean, there's a level of me saying something is going on in the, in in this young man's life, but then I had to push him back and go, but I'm not, I'm not, I'm not mom and dad, and I don't live with him, and I don't see him, and so I'm going to encourage you to to take now a very intentional time of looking and examining him, and I don't know if that made a mat or not, but I kind of. I kind of had to push yeah. it back to them, Charlie. I think that's, a, that's an interesting situation to be in because, in a sense, I think what is honorable about that is potentially just this honoring of the pastor, right, of seeking wisdom from the pastor. And I think that part of it is actually very honorable to say, man, I want to – this is an important decision. As parents, we want to seek the input of our pastor and, and help him shepherd us through this. That part of it, I think, can be very honorable and good, but honoring a pastor does not mean – giving over to that pastor things which are not which are part of your purview right? right and so i think that's the balance that we're walking well i think even as you sit down and talk with that person i think you're having to say you know man i really appreciate you having this conversation there's nothing more i'd rather talk to you about than the salvation of your kids souls and discipleship in the home and things like that and being very affirming of that but also saying listen i can't that <laughs> there's there's roles you have to play that I just can't play in this scenario. Absolutely. So I think what that really leads to well, Charlie, is this last area that I do think we need to consider when we're thinking about proclaiming the gospel, sharing the gospel with children. Clearly, we talked about evidence of the Spirit versus knowledge. We talked about the, the need for proclamation in the church, but also in the home, and really the home being the seat of discipleship, which really leads to what you hinted at. So there is this concept of thinking through and needing to consider okay, proclamation of the gospel to children of believers versus proclamation of the gospel to children who aren't believers. And we know how this scenario goes. We have Vacation Bible School. And, and if, if, if churches that are out there are anything like the churches that I pastored, there's a good chance that 50% or more or 30% of the kids that come are neighborhood kids. You've barely even met their parents. You don't know anything about their spiritual background, but better chances than not, their families – 
aren't believers. Unbelievable. And we get their ch- – and that's just one scenario of how we might would get children in. Maybe grandparents bring them or whatever. But but we know they don't have this even system currently at home to do what we're just talking about. So we do need to think through that, and we do need to ask, what do you do in that situation? I have a couple thoughts, but before I give a couple thoughts, I would just say, Charlie, what, what are your thoughts about that important aspect of thinking about proclaiming the gospel to children? Yeah, so this is where we're dealing with a less-than-ideal scenario, right? Right? So and I think that is really good. Not to, don't forget your train of thought, but I, I was going to say that earlier. This idea of we're, we're talking about the ideal, but we also do know the, the not ideal does exist because of the fallen world that we live in. Right, right. And so there I think we have to say, okay, how do we, how do we work best in, an, in, a, in a broken and fallen world where this you know, hopefully maybe now believing child does not have believing parents to disciple them. And that where is where the church probably does have to step in and say, okay, how can we help disciple this child? I think also with an eye of, of sharing the gospel with their parents. I mean, I think sometimes we lose sight of that and we make it all about the child. One of the best gifts we could give a child who has unbelieving parents is to share the gospel with their parents so that hopefully their parents might be, be, be believe and that they would be given the gift of a believing home. And so that's where I think we need to be thinking about how do we disciple this child? Maybe is there a family that can come alongside this child and you know have them sit with them at church and invest in the, the child's life, uh, seek to connect with the parents, all these different sorts of things. Um, so, so I think it's a, 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 that's a big task for a church, right? But that, that's some of the things I think about how we can think about it. And I know this doesn't directly apply, but we talk about passages and how the church should take care of orphans and widows. Mm-hmm. Isn't there a sense in which what we're talking about here, is, at least in the moment we get them, they're kind of spiritually orphaned? Mm-hmm. And so the church does. It's not like we're shirking our responsibility and say, well, tough luck, kids. Sorry about that. No, we, we think we, we believe and know we do have a responsibility to spiritually shepherd them. You hit on the, t- the two things that I was going to say. I'm glad that you did that, and I'll just kind of reinforce this a little bit. When that happens in an unbelieving home, there's, there's two thoughts that, that go through my mind. First of all, it's a part of a larger strategy that I take as pastor. One of the things that I often try to do um, on like a, a Mother's Day or a Father's Day or something like that whether you preach a message on Mother's Day or Father's Day or what you think about holidays, I don't want to get into that. But what I always try to do when we talk about like praying for moms, one of the things that I think we don't often do a good job of is saying, look, uh, we kind of shy away from what about non-biological moms or moms that can't have biological children and that sort of thing. But I like to point out even the value and the role that God has for them. And there are multiple ones in the church, right? But one of them is you just don't understand as, as, a, as, a, as a woman or as a man that honors Christ in your life and as a part of this church, how God might be setting you up to be a spiritual parent mm-hmm. for someone that you can disciple because they don't have that option or opportunity at home. So that's that's a part of the larger picture that I take, Charlie. It's not just kind of a one-time, okay, we have this kid here, but how are we setting up, I hate to even use this word, systems mm-hmm. or, or, or a, a culture in our church that is putting that before people that there's already naturally, we're not scrambling, it's just built into the fabric of who we are. And I hope that doesn't come across insensitive because I don't mean it that way. I actually mean it God even uses this. So that's one thing that I say. And then the other thing is, I was going to say, look, if we're concerned about children coming from unbelieving homes, then what that tells me is is we need to do a better job of sharing the gospel and reaching homes, mm-hmm. reaching mom and dad. And so I think sometimes, and, and I, I think I've been guilty of this, a kid comes to vacation Bible school, 
and whatever way this looks like, they respond or show some interest in the gospel. And they come from a family that doesn't go to church. And so we go, okay, I'm going to go, we're going to go visit with that family. But what we end up turning that conversation into is all about the kid and all about when are we going to schedule them for baptism. When I really think what we've just been given there is an open door to go and yeah, the, the, the child's important and they're showing, you know, fruits of this, but but really we've been given an open door to go in and at least initiate a yeah. gospel opportunity with that that family and proclaim the gospel to them. And and it might be that that ultimately yields greater and longer fruit in the long run if we would see it that way and not just when are we going to baptize this child. Yeah, I think these are broad principles that have to be applied in a lot of different scenarios. I remember uh, distinctly some kids, their parents would send them to VBS, but when we tried to go talk to their parents, they did not have a lick of interest in talking to anybody from the church. So that's a hard situation to be in where you're trying to do the best you can for that kid where, practically speaking, their parents don't even want to talk to you. I mean, and they would – I mean, bluntly, probably babysitting was VBS was babysitting for them, and that's what they wanted. They weren't interested in their kids being baptized or any connection to the church. But by God's grace, maybe He's given the church an opportunity to invest and proclaim the life of the the the, the gospel into the life of that kid. So you do the best you can. And we've been trying to say over and over again that we have to take these broad principles and apply them to lots of different situations. Right. So hopefully, and I, and I appreciate you leading through this time. I I, I hope that we've hit on a lot of broad principles that will be helpful to think about this issue. I think we started with how do we proclaim the gospel to kids and ended up talking about a a baptism a lot. But I do think those things are interconnected. And I think for our listeners, especially those who are pastoring, um, these are issues that you're going to face. I I don't see how you're going to go through pastoral ministry without having to face some of these topics. So we hope it's been beneficial for you uh, to see some of how we would think this through, uh, some of the principles that we think are important that will lead you to help make application of those principles in your own personal ministry. So Adam, we thank you for your time. I appreciate our listeners joining us as always, and we look forward to continuing uh, to think through some very practical issues related to what is the gospel and how do we share it. Thanks for listening. For more resources on pastoral ministry, visit us at faithfulpastor.com. And to learn more about training to become a pastor, visit us at nobts.edu.